shared with you last week and the week before that everybody's building something. You might be building a business, you might be building a, a marriage, a family, uh, or even just building up your personal life. Everybody's building. And everybody that's building, what they're building is going to be tested by fire before this thing is over. You know, it's not always going to be the same. We, we sometimes get so stuck on the present day that we forget that there's an eternity after this. And so we want to make sure that when we build, we build with honor and we build with the proper materials, with the proper motives, so that when it is tested by fire, it's going to survive. And then Jesus said, you'll get a reward. And so we talked about a couple of builders. First week, we talked about Noah, how he, he built an ark. He built a rescue ship. And we, we liken that into what we're building now in the local church, that it's actually a rescue boat. It's not a cruise ship. It's not a pleasure ship. And then last week, we talked about Moses, how he built a a house. He was a builder for the presence of God and how the local church is to house the presence of God. And, uh, and without the presence of God, we really have nothing. You know, we can have lights and camera and all kind of action, but if we don't have the presence of God, the seal of the spirit, then we are just kind of like involved in religion and religion will never get us where we need to be. So today we're going to share with you uh, about a builder by the name of Nehemiah. Personally, Nehemiah is one of my heroes in the Bible. He really is amazing, and uh, he, he was tenacious underneath some of the hardest circumstances. And, uh, you know, we, we're, we're going to talk about building the local church. This whole series is about the local church. And so we build together. It's not me, it's we. It's not just a few, it's all. We build together the local church to affect things. And the reason we're building the local church, the whole reason why I'm giving my life to build the local church and to help other pastors build the local church is because we firmly believe that the local church is the hope of the world. We believe that the local church houses the presence of God and is a rescue ship and will change people's lives because the presence of God is there. Now, we're not building parachurch organizations. A parachurch organization is an organization that comes alongside the church. The only organizations that we support are those who feed and clothe and house hungry people and poor people, the poor, and those who rescue the unborn. Those are the two parachurch organizations that we support, that we get involved in. And we don't make any excuse about that. That's where we put our emphasis. When it comes to building the local church, we realize that's the body of Christ, that it's, it's, it's the hands and feet of Jesus. That's who we are. That's who you are. You got to understand that. What we're seeking to do in this series is to bend your thinking that there's more to being a Christian and building the local church than coming to a church service. We have to bend that thinking because that's what's been ingrained in us, especially in the Bible Belt that we go on a Sunday service, and it's good. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're being obsessed with building a local church. I believe we should be, if it's the hope of the world, we should give it much, much attention, much, much strength, much, much power needs to go behind it. So today, you know, we're going to share five principles with you, five principles that I believe out of the word of God we can extract that's going to encourage us to bend our thinking, to change our, our outlook on why we're even here, 
and to propel us into the next season as a church. In book of Nehemiah, let me just give you a quick overview of what was happening. Nehemiah's in the Old Testament before Jesus came and Israel was sent into captivity to the king of Persia. And when kings would take nations into captivity, he would use some of the people of that captive nation to serve him. And so Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king, which basically meant he drank everything that was going to be served to the king before the king drank it. He ate everything before the king was going to eat it because back then people would poison kings, kill them, and take over the throne. It was a hostile place. You know, we think that this past election was tough. <laughs> Look, back then the election was send a guy in and stab the king to death and then his son would take over. In some instances, the sons would kill the daddy. So if you think our political system is in bad shape, thank God we don't live back then. So Nehemiah would serve the king, and uh, the king of Persia decided that he would let some people go back to Jerusalem to kind of live there. And then Nehemiah receives a message from those people that are living in Jerusalem. We find it in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3. This is what they said to Nehemiah. They said, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. First principle that we see in builders are that they have the burden. There is the burden. A burden is an amazing thing. A burden is something that, that consumes you. A burden is something that keeps you up at night. A burden is something that you think about. A burden is something that you give yourself to. A burden is something that moves us. And a burden comes from God. I can't give you a burden. No man can give you a burden. God can use the words I speak to give you a burden. But you know what? There's something between you and God. This is not automatic. It's something between you and God. And so when he heard this, he received a burden from the Lord about it. He began to fast. He began to pray. He began to weep. He was moved by the condition of the people. There are burdens that supersede your activities. I remember many years ago, Jan and I, when we first got saved, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of anything because we had lived uh, kind of not the, in the proper way. And so, uh, you know, you know how it is when you got a young, young kid and you finally get a night out. You, you know how it is? You finally get that night out. And so, man, you start early, you shower up real good, you comb your hair. I mean, you just, everything, you're thinking about it. You got it all planned. And Jan and I had this, we had a babysitter set up for Carrie. And, oh, it was just going to be this great evening. I was like, all right, all right. We got the money, all right. And we were in the kitchen, getting ready to walk out, and the phone rang. That was when phones were still on the wall. And the phone rang. And Jan answered the phone. And it was one of her best friends in school from a long time ago. And I don't know how they found out, but they found out that we were, in, you know, that we'd given our hearts to Jesus. And so this is what, her name was Elaine, his name was James. And they asked us if we would come over that night, right then, and share the gospel with them. Now, if I was to say, well, we just said, no problem, sure, here we go. But, you know, I had to fight a battle. All this pain. You, gotta, you know what I'm talking about. You hadn't been out in about nine months out the house. But Jan and I decided, you know what, we got the babysitter lined up, so we had Carrie taken care of it. And we went there, and we spent about four hours 
that evening sharing the gospel with those two people. I don't know what God did with that, but I believe that was a test. I believe that was just a slight burden that the Lord would give to us to see whether or not we would take his bait or not. The question is, are you taking the bait of God? Is there something that uh, is moving you past your entertainment, your pleasure, your plans? Is there something that is so powerful in your life that it interrupts what you feel like you ought to do with your life? And God will just use small things to see where we stand. Sometimes we think it's got to be giant things, but God doesn't need big things. He doesn't need nuclear bombs to destroy the world. He just lets it stop raining for like five years, and then it's done. Or send a bunch of locusts, and it's all done in a day. And so he doesn't need some big thing to test you to see where you are, because he already knows where you are, but he wants you to see where you are. We need to be like David in Psalm 132. He said, Lord, remember David and all his, he suffered. He, he made a solemn promise to the Lord. He vowed to the mighty one of Israel, I will not go home. I will not let myself rest. I will not let my eyes sleep nor close my eyelids in slumber until I find a place to build a house for the Lord, a sanctuary for the mighty one of Israel. He said, I've got this mandate and I'm not going to let anything deviate me from completing it. He had a burden. Question is, what's your burden? The question is, do you have a burden? Maybe the question is, have you ever thought that you might have a burden? Well, if you're both in the Northwood, let me tell you what our burden is. Our burden is to see the law saved. Our burden is church planting. We pray, we give. That's what motivates us. We pray, we give. We give to, 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 to we're part of Surge because we've planted 22,000 churches together. Does that move you that 22,000 churches? Does that move you that with ARC, we together have planted 600 churches in America? Does that move you that we've got three campuses here with plans in the vision for more to reach more people? Does that move you? Because that moves me and that moves northward. That's the engine. That's the burden that's moving this church forward. That's the burden. There is no other burden. All the other things that are done are to fuel that. You're cared for to fuel that. You're made healthy to fuel that. The burden that says we must see the lost saved. You know, in, in that day when you would serve the king, you had to be happy. Matter of fact, everybody around the king had to be happy all the time. It had to be happy, happy. No matter what you're going through, you know, I mean, you could have been in a bad day, but you're just like, <laughs> you know, you're happy in front of the king. But the burden of the Lord became so heavy on Nehemiah that everybody began to notice and somehow or another, he wasn't so happy. Sometimes we think Christianity is a happy, clappy thing. Always happy, clappy, happy, clappy. But it's not always that way. Sometimes a burden comes. And that's what happened with Nehemiah. He couldn't contain it any longer. He couldn't hide it any longer. He couldn't fake the smile. And the king noticed that. The second principle we want to talk about is the king. Because the king noticed something about him. But the thing about building... Here's Nehemiah, he's got this burden to, to, to help the people, but without the help of the king, you can't accomplish anything. The king here was the king of Persia, but our king is King Jesus. And without the help of King Jesus, we can do nothing. You understand, 
We can build buildings and get people in rooms, but without the king's presence, without the authority of the king, we can't do anything. And the way you get the authority of the king is through a submitted, humble life of prayer and adoration. So you get the, the presence of the Lord. The, the, Jesus will embrace, the king embraces those. The king will embrace a church that will humble themselves and believe him and pray and adore him. Worship is for the king. The king's response of worship is a different thing, but worship goes to the king, not because I'm something great or I've got it all together. As a matter of fact, the, if you don't have it together, that's a good time to worship. It's just the opposite. When we don't have it together, we don't want to worship because we, we put our goodness above the mercy of God. So if you're down and out, if, you got, you know, if you're in trouble, just worship him. Even when there's no words on the screen, just worship the king because he will embrace the king and the king always embraces what we're passionate about. That means if we're passionate about seeing people come to Christ, guess who's more passionate? Christ. You cannot get more passionate for a human race than to die on a cross when you didn't deserve it. And that's what Jesus did. So Nehemiah 2, here's the king. The king asked me, he said, you know, what's wrong with you, Nehemiah? And Nehemiah said, oh, man, the gates are broken down. My city, my place where I live, my hometown is in trouble. And so the king says, well, how can I help you? Now, I don't know about you, but wouldn't you love a king to say, hey, how can I help you? Can you imagine that? All the power, all the authority. Hey, what can I do to help you? Jesus said that many times in his earthly ministry. What can I do for you? Do you want me to heal you? What can I do for you? The king says, what can I do for you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. And the king with the queen sitting right there beside him asked, how long will you be gone? And when he, when he said, this is how long will I be gone? The king said, hey, that sounds good to me. Go ahead and do it. And he gave him his request. You see, the king will give us Everything we need to do the king's will. I've, I've come to understanding that God will not give us as a church anything that is not going to be used to accomplish his will. He gives the burden. We go to him with a request, the king. And when our passion matches his passion, then he gives our request. Isn't that powerful? Co-laboring together with Jesus, our community, this community and all the communities round about us. Listen, folks, listen, 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 listen. Get off of just you. There are people who do not know the Lord, who have no chance whatsoever of an eternity outside of the confines of hell unless we receive the burden of the Lord and tell them. Matter of fact, this is what I want to do right now. I want to pray for our communities right now. I guarantee you in this room right now, there's probably 10 different communities that are represented. You've got family members that don't know Jesus, and we're just going to agree together right now. Let's just get in the vein of God and believe God. Look, I am in. I need less prayer than a lot of people. I have been rescued. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm on the shore. Come on now. And I'm in the boat, the rescue boat.
Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we're asking you to touch deeply the people of our community, Lord. God, that you would use us, our words, our resources, that you would use us, Lord God, as your hands and feet to touch the needy, the downtrodden, God, those that are just in so much trouble, whose lives are in trouble, whose souls have been fragmented. Father, would you give us opportunity, glaring opportunity, Lord God, that we cannot put the burden down and that it will supersede all of our activities. God, we come in agreement with you to touch and to change our communities, to see people saved, delivered, and set free. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. The king is passionate about the burden that he gives us. But then there has to be a strategy. And Nehemiah had a strategy. He traveled to Jerusalem, and when he got there, he didn't just get in a hotel room and kind of chill out, watch a few programs on TV. He says he went into the city at night. He wasn't telling a lot of people about what he's doing, but he was getting a strategy of how he was going to take care of business because he came to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall around it. It was essential to have a wall around a city in those days. And so he's looking and he's watching and he's wondering what is the strategy. And he's formulating it in his mind. You see, there has to be a strategy. It's not just good enough for us to go out shouting Christian terms. Shouting Christian terms, that's not a strategy. Our strategy here at Northwood is to see people saved through weekend services. Come on. And personal evangelism. In other words, you're leading people to Jesus and you're bringing them into the local church. Come on. We're bringing in our harvest. We're bringing in the sheaves. Come on. And then to disciple them through teaching like this and through small groups. And then to help people find their worth their giftings, their callings within the local church, and then to help them get into a place of service because people who serve grow and people who don't serve sleep. I say it again, people who serve are the people who grow. I've never seen it ever change. Those that serve grow. And it's amazing as they serve in small things, God uses them in greater things. It's his principle. First job I had to have in the church was to turn the lights off after everybody left. Turn out the lights, the party's over. That was my job. And I was so excited. Wild horses could not have kept me away from that light switch. <laughs> I stood at my post, I remember, waiting for everyone to leave. I never blinked the lights on and off. If they wanted to stay 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and 50, I'd just stand there until I could turn the lights off and close the doors. What a wonderful time. I sometimes wish I could have that job again. <laughs> it's so wonderful. The strategy, getting people saved. Understand that we're not fighting a, a physical battle. And the weapons of our warfare that we war with are not physical weapons. But our, our, our weapons are spiritual weapons. You can never win a spiritual battle with a physical weapon. A gun, a knife, a club, ugly words, those never penetrate the spiritual realm. 
our weapons of prayer and worship and the word of God and the promises of God and the authority in the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, those are the weapons that we fight, a, fight with. So when we bind something on earth, it's bound in heaven. And when we loose something on earth, it's loosed in heaven and people need to be loosed. We're fighting a God of this world, his name is not Jesus. The God of this world is Satan. He's blinding people's minds that they cannot see the light of this wonderful gospel. And we've been given the mandate to bring the light to them to where they can see the gospel and receive Christ and be delivered from hell for all of eternity. This is the strategy. Strategy is not having a choir that practices 14 times a, a week to sing one special song. The strategy is not to sell chicken or have a rummage sale. The strategy is to use the weapons that Jesus has given us to where we can see people saved. The fourth principle that we see here in Nehemiah's life is unity. And unity is the big deal. It's one of our core values. We're all, we're all individuals. We're very diverse in who we are, but we all unify for the cause of Christ. Unity. And unity is not just the absence of strife. Because that's sometimes we think, oh, we're in unity, there's no strife. It's not only the absence of strife, but it's the presence of working together through a strategy. Nehemiah had that. He knew he couldn't build this, this whole wall. How does one man build a wall? How does one man see a city transform? Impossible. But the burden came to that one man. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17, he, this is what he said. He said, you see the bad situation we're in, that Jerusalem is desolate and his gates are burned by fire. What I love about Nehemiah, he didn't soft soap anything. He didn't say, praise God, everything's going to be great. It's, it's great, it's wonderful. It's just wonderful because we just, we just in the spirit, we just, no, he said, things are bad, folks. He said, things are real bad here. Look, if things are bad, quit saying it's good. Say it's bad so that you get a strategy and unify so that you can get it good. And so that's what he said. He said, things are bad. He said, come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told him how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words, which he had spoken to me. And then they said, they said these wonderful words, let us arise and build. Let us arise and build. Not Nehemiah, let you arise and build. But let us arise and build. Let us. A great church is not built on the gifts of a few, but a great church is built on the sacrifices of many. Did you understand that? We're finally getting it, that a church is not built by one person, nor is a church built by one team. A church is built on the sacrifices of many people over a long period of time. A long time, folks. Before we were ever born, all of us, there were men and women of God who were building the church. We inherited the church. Thank God for those that were before us that did just this wonderful thing called the church. I thank God for ministers that came into this city before I ever came into this city, laying great foundations they may have never built a church of this size, but they built the foundation that we were able to build a church of this size. No man's by himself, no man's an island, and no one does anything great all by themselves. 
unity. He said, let's build, man. Let's get this thing together. And, and then he records some things. I just wanted to read a few verses to you. Uh, I just think it's just great. In Nehemiah 3, 1, he says, Elisha, the high priest, and the other priests started to build at the sheep gate. They just started working. Then in, in the third chapter of the third verse, the fish gate was built by the sons of Hazanah. So there's another group of people building the fish gate. You say, what is the fish gate? Well, if they were in Louisiana, that'd be where you'd get some crawfish, <laughs> some catfish, you know. Fifth verse, next were the people from Tekoa, though their leaders refused to work. Another translation says, their nobles refused to work. How would you like to be known all through history as people who refuse to work? I'd like to read this in, in eternity and it be said of you, you refused to work. And they built a wall to protect their city. They refused to work with the construction supervisors. Probably they just want to do their own thing, I guess. Ah, local church, I'm going to go do my own thing. And you can, and that's, you know, that's, that's good. But if you want the biggest bang for your buck, get involved with a whole bunch of other people that are moving in the same direction. Because a thousand can do a lot more than two. Watch this. Twelfth verse. Shalom, son of Halibus, and his daughters. Wow. Repaired the next stage. They had women working on the wall. Women in ministry. Come on now. Working together on the wall. All these people in unity. You know, the point is this. And I read those names simply because I wanted to know that God knows your name. And God knows where you are. And God knows what you do. And God knows the job he's given you. And God knows what he's told you to do. And God knows what he's impressed upon you to do. And God knows the burden he's given you. And God knows where you are. And God knows if you're on the wall or not on the wall. You, you see, you, you can't shirk your responsibility. Folks, listen to me. We can't shirk our responsibility any longer. It's no longer feasible. It's no longer even acceptable that we uh, sit on the side. You know, this is not a glory train. This is a work train. Glories are coming, but we're working now. Can I be, as your pastor, can I be so, just so honest with you? Anytime I speak to you about taking a next step that's going to cost you something, it gets so very quiet in here. <laughs> Now, let me tell you why it gets so quiet. It is the sound, silence is the sound of guilt. So this is what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to stop being a cheerleader on the sideline and get in the game. I'm asking you to stop letting insecurity sideline you. Insecurity, we hate insecurity. Not insecure people. We hate insecurity because it robs people of moving forward in their life, in every aspect of their life. You know what else? Stop looking at what you can't do and start looking at what God can do through you and in you. Get your eyes off yourself 
and get your eyes on the Lord who will then put your eyes on other people. It's the way the Lord works. Stop asking the staff to do something that might make you more comfortable and start looking for your hole in the wall. By the way, if you're sick, the Bible says, we read it this morning in the one-year Bible. If you're sick, it means really sick, call for the elders of the church, and they will anoint you with all and pray the prayer of faith. And if you have any sins, it will be forgiven you and you'll be healed. But when you call for the elders of the church and you don't get Pastor Van that comes see you, or if you're in the hospital and Pastor Van or Pastor Jordan, Pastor Casey doesn't show up there, but someone from our pastoral care team shows up there to pray with you and agree with you for healing, it's all the same. Did you hear that? It's all the same. We have to break the pattern of thinking that the pastors do everything. There has to be, if we're gonna grow, if we're gonna see this church at 5,000, there's no way that a small group of staff members can handle everything. And so we wanna make sure that when, when, when Ken or, or Bobby come to see you in the hospital at your home and you've had surgery and they lay hands on you and they pray for you, you embrace them and say, thank you so much for coming ministering to me. I live in a great church. The church loves me. The church praying for me rather than like we've heard. Why hasn't Pastor Van been by to see me? I suppose this would be a good time to move on. You see, you came in here this morning and you might've been looking for a blessing, but God wants to give you a shovel or a hammer, or he wants you to move some rocks on the wall. You see, I'm coming to get my blessing and the Lord be shut the door with a hammer, with a responsibility, with a place on the wall. And I can just see the Lord. I know, I know because the Lord is industrious. I can just see him say, you come in and say, hallelujah. It's a great day today. I just, oh, bless me, Lord. Bless me. He said, I'm going to bless you. Come over here with me. Kneel down right here. There's a hole in the wall right here. Get to work. I'm blessing you. I'm empowering you. Come on. What do you think blessings are for? What do you think empowerment is for? What do you think freedom is for? I don't know, I haven't read in the Bible. I have not read in the Bible where a few would do the work and the rest would rest. Ephesians 4.16 really puts it in perspective. Jesus makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. Wow, how many parts? Each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Come on now. Say, Pastor, what are you saying? Would you just say it in plain language so that we can understand what you're saying? Okay, let me put it in plain language. My expectation for this church is that every member, every person who names this church as their place of worship and fellowship is working on a team and serving 
so that people can get a break from serving so much. If you are a guest in the house, and if you're just checking things out, this is your second, third, fourth, don't, don't take this, just listen. Don't say, oh, well, I went to church one time, he won't do it. No, no, no. No, you know what I'm saying. The Bible says that you don't muzzle an ox that treads the corn, but he's treading the corn. He's working. We need to all work. We need to all go through the growth track. We need to all find our place and we need to get on the wall. Amen. Number five, there's the battle because you never move things forward without a battle. Nehemiah had his enemies. We have enemies. In the fourth chapter, Sanballat was an enemy and he was very angry. When he learned that we were rebuilding the wall, he flew into a rage and mocked the Jews saying in front of his friends and Sumerian army officers, he said, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build a wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think that they can make something of stone from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? And then Tobiah, another enemy, the Amorite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. We have enemies, spiritual enemies that mock us and say, you're never going to make a difference in a community. When I came here, one of the first things I was told, I can't remember who said it to me, but this is what they told me. They said, you will never build a church in this city over 200 people. At that time, I was thinking 200 sounds pretty good. <laughs> but as time went on, I realized those words kept haunting me. And when the church would not grow, I would hear those words. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, not physical, because we don't fight a physical battle. We fight a spiritual battle. And when those words were spoken to me, it was like a spiritual time bomb, a spiritual roadside bomb was set in my life. And every time I wanted to make a move further with God, that thing would go off in my mind and say, you'll never build a church over 200 people. And you're seeing the proof of it now. They were right. You never will. One year, two years, three years. You'll never see it. It won't happen. And the way I would combat that, and some of you were in the room then when we all sat in a little section about this big in another room, I'd look at them and I'd say, we will not remain a small church on the side of O'Neill Road. We will not remain. I said it a hundred times. We will not remain. And now I'm telling you, we will not remain a large church with three locations on the Gulf Coast. We will not remain a large church with three locations on the Gulf Coast. There is more ground to take, more people to see saved, and more campuses to build. There are, but it's going to take people who are willing to work. All the time we hear people, where's our next campus? No, where's your next campus? Well, I thought you were in this with me. We don't say that, but we think that. Where's the next campus? We need a campus here. We need a campus there. And I'm thinking, we need to serve on a team here. <laughs> the battle. 
when we advance the kingdom of God, we must expect warfare. It comes in all kinds of different ways. That's why you need to be prayed up. You need to be vigilant. You need to be about the Father's business. You need to have yourself tuned in to what's going on. And you need to understand when it's a spiritual battle or when it's just life taking a toll. And there's a difference there. You know, one day I'm going to be an old man, hopefully. Some people say, some of you young people say he's pretty old right now. <laughs> well, but you know what? 85, 90, 95, whatever, you know, 78, I don't know, whatever. Life begins to end. That's just the way life is. But when you're attacked in the stride of life for no apparent reason, you must look at it as a spiritual battle. When things come out of the blue, they don't really come out of the blue. They come out of the place of the enemy. And you need to fight those battles. Obstacles, hardships. Who said it would be easy, folks? Who taught you that it'd be easy to be a Christian? Who taught you that it'd be easy to plant churches and, and take ground from the enemy? It's not easy. It's very difficult. There's a great burden. All the battles fought are never seen with the naked eye. There are things you cannot see. There are things you just, you just cannot explain. Some things, I, me and Jan, we talk all the time. We, 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 we drill down on things, and at the end of it, we say, well, we just don't understand that. Let's just stand. Can't figure it out. Doesn't make any sense. Don't know. Don't have the discernment. Sorry, don't have the wisdom. Can't figure it out. Ain't God. But trust God. And then stand. And that's why when you've done everything you know to do, you just stand. You stand, therefore with all the weapons of God and all the armor of God and you stand believing God. And when you stand, eventually victory comes. Victory comes eventually. So what are we to do here? What are some things that I can give you that will motivate you or help you get involved here? Number one, I think that we need to pray. I think everybody should pray. What if I told you that your prayers mattered? What if I told you that or asked you, would you please pray for us in the leadership here? That God would help us. That we would make right choices. That we would do the things that he wants done. That we would honor him as we lead the church. Because leading a church is a giant mandate from God. That you would pray. I think all should pray for the favor of the king upon us. Do you pray for the favor of the king to be upon us emotionally and financially and for souls and for taking ground. Do you pray for that as a church, as we're building the wall? We should all pray. We should all give. We should all give. All should give so that we can build. Everybody should give. No one should not give. Well, why? Who? Who came up with some people would give and other people would not give of their time and of their treasures, their, their money, and of their talents and their gifts. Where did it come? Why is it that way? What was wrong with these men? They would not work on the wall. Why would they work on the wall? Why wouldn't they get, they were citizens of Jerusalem. They were in the families. Everybody else was working. What did they do when everybody else was working? What do we, what, what, what? Were, were they just sitting down watching? I know one thing, they sure enjoyed it once the gates were hung in the and the wall was finished. The protection, the victory. 
By the way, the devil said, a fox gets on that wall, it'll fall down. If you read the book of Nehemiah, you find out that it wasn't a fox. They put two Thanksgiving choirs on top of the wall. It's time to give. It's time to stop. It's t- hey, let's just, let's, can we just quit playing a game and get serious with God and start giving of our time, our money, our talents, our treasures, and trust the Lord? I think you can serve. I think all should serve in a place in the wall. I think I made that plain. I don't have to drill down on that any longer. And then you know what else? I think we all should win. I think when one wins, we all win. And I think when we seek God, you know, I don't know about you, but when we say we're planning an ark church, it's not ark planning, it's we're planning it. When Serge plants a church in Bangladesh or in the depths of the African Congo, it's not Serge planting that church, it's us planting that church. When, when, when we work with the, the homeless here on December 2nd, it's not just them, it's us. Everything is us. I'd much rather us than me. I'd much rather a group than all by myself. We're going to pray. We're going to give. We're going to serve. And we're going to win. And our goal is that when the fire of God comes at the judgment seat of Christ, that the works are not burned up, but that Jesus says, well done, Northwood. And in Northwood is Tom and Susan and Sally and Bob and Bill and Van. All together, giving glory to the king because a great work was done in our part on the wall of God. Amen? Let's bow our heads together if you don't mind. Come on, Jesus, we love you. I just pray that you open up our hearts right now. Lord, you'll just really, truly, right this moment, God, I'm praying that this will be just a special moment for us to seek you. To seek you, Lord. I thank you for those, Lord God. I appreciate those that have gotten into the rescue ship that have gotten on the wall, that have been working on the wall. Some, Lord, for many, many, many years. Right now, Father, I pray for every person in this room who have, for all kinds of reasons, been like those who would not work on the wall. What a sad thing that they would watch while others worked. And I pray, Lord God, that your convicting power would touch in such a powerful way that, Lord, it would, it would run past an emotional time, that it would run past guilt, God, because that's not your motivator, that it would run to the burden of the Lord. God, I'm just asking you to stimulate this church, every member doing their special part. Would you just seek the Lord? If you're sitting here, you've been in this church for a long time and you just kind of come sit and receive, but you, you had never given, would you just ask the Lord what he would have you to do? And then would you submit to that? Would you just submit to the Lord, be obedient? And then for some of you in this room, I want to let you know that there have been people in this community 
There have been pastors and leaders and people in churches for decades upon decades praying and believing God and building places of sanctuary like this one that you could come. And you've come into this place this morning expecting something from God, but you don't know him. You may have stood in the worship and said, what is this? I, I, I can't connect. Don't feel bad about that. Everybody's been in that place. But if you're at a place in your life right now where you say, I want to follow Jesus. And what that means to follow Jesus is that we turn from our sin, we repent of our sin. We believe in the living God, God the Father. And we walk with Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's what it means, total surrender. So this is what I'm gonna ask. And I give you time because this is the most important time of your whole existence. If you're in this room and you say, Pastor Van, I want to commit to following Christ. I wanna do that right now. I'm gonna ask you to lift your hand up. I wanna pray for you right where you are. Not gonna make you come anywhere, do anything. We're gonna pray together. I wanna thank you, ma'am, for your hand. Yes, thank you so much. Hands all the way to my left here, all the way to my right here, thank you. Go ahead, be bold. It's, yes, this is your first order of work, saying, Lord, I'm ready to serve you. If you haven't shot it up yet, just shoot your hand up, just go ahead. We're gonna pray for you, thank you, ma'am. Doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how young you are, thank you. Doesn't matter if your spouse that, that you're leaning against is gonna follow Jesus or not, thank you, ma'am. You need to follow Jesus. Thank you so much. Right now, you who are in this room, you raise your hand. I want you to pray with me. Come on. I want you to agree with me. That means that as I pray, you just say, yes, I, I, that's, what I, that's what I want to say, Lord. That's what I want to say. Lord, we say thank you for dying for us. Thank you for dying for my sins, Lord. And God, there have been many. I've not served you, but today I changed my mind, God. I turn from my sin to serve you and follow you. I give you my whole life, Lord God, and I ask you to take me and make me a different person. I surrender to you, and I am grateful that you loved me so much that you died for me. And now, Lord, I'm yours from this day forward. For the rest of time, I am yours, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray this, Father. Amen and amen and amen. Come on. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, and we'd love to help you with your next few steps. If you'll text the word SAVED to 51660, we want to send you a link to our website that'll explain a little more about the decision you just made and give you some steps to take so that you can grow in your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you're in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our live services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv slash give, or you can text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. 
standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time.